want to welcome you guys all to church today. I want to welcome uh, any of you guys who are watching online as well, whether you're watching from. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, we are at the, I, I learned this word recently, and so I want to use it, the penultimate message of this series. Um, I learned that word like three weeks ago, actually what it meant. Penultimate, if you don't know, is the second to last. It's funny that there's a word for second to last instead of just second to last. But we are at the second to last message of our series. The series is called How to Study the Bible. How to Study the Bible. And this is the fourth message. Next week, Pastor Jonathan will conclude with our last message. And, you know, I was thinking about this this week, and I realized that this message series has been a little uh, clickbaity. It's been a little clickbaity. What I mean by that is it sounds like we're going to talk about one thing, but then it seems like we're not talking about the thing, you know? Because we're saying the title is How to Study the Bible, and we kind of haven't talked about how to study the Bible yet. We've talked about lots of other important things that are part of the process. Uh, we talked about the hang-ups on why we don't want to study the Bible. Pastor Jonathan talked about that, the obstacles and how to get past the obstacles of how you feel about the Bible that prevents you from, from reading. Uh, we talked about an important fundamental idea in the second message that we need to understand the overall unifying story of Scripture, and then it helps us to understand, and the unifying story of Scripture is God making heaven on earth, right? Heaven on earth coming together throughout Scripture. And then last week, we talked about the purpose and why do we study the Bible? Why, why are we supposed to study the Bible? What is it supposed to do? Now, uh, we say this all the time, right? We, all, we say this all the time, like, hey, if you missed the message, please go back and listen to the message. We always say that. But like today, I like really, really mean it, okay? I really, really mean it. Other times I mean it, but today I really mean it as far as last weekend's message. If you missed last weekend's message, I really, really want to encourage you to, to go back and listen because, yes, we talk about the purpose behind Bible study. And if you don't understand the purpose behind Bible study and what it's supposed to do, and it's not information, we talked about it, it's not information, nor is it confirmation. The purpose is transformation. That's the purpose behind the Bible. If you don't read the Bible to be transformed, you're not actually reading it correctly. And you're not going to experience what the Bible has for you. But last week is so important because not only did we talk about why we said the Bible, but we talked about the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and how that, what that means for us. We talked about the, what I said is the most flawed way to re read the Bible, which is the way where you read it to get something out of it, which a lot of us do. And so if that's where you are, I really, really want to encourage you. Last week's message, you know, for me, was um, a really powerful experience to prepare it and to preach it. Uh, a lot of conviction and passion on my heart. So um, I would love for you guys to, to check that out if you missed it. You can go to our website. You go to uh, podcast. Wherever you listen to podcast, find us. Or you, YouTube channel, and you can listen to the message then. So today, though... We're actually going to talk about how to study the Bible. Like, we're getting to some of the nuts and bolts. We're getting into some of the uh, practical, and I said this last week, that today is going to be the most practical message of the series. Next week is going to be the most relevant message of the series. And I know those two, two things sound very similar, but they're not. Today is very practical in that what you learn today, you can actually put into practice today or tomorrow. Next week is the most relevant because of the way our world is now, the way our culture and our society, the way like America is right now with all the kind of the, the 
the divisions of thought and, and conspiracies. Next week, we're going to address some of those things as far as like how, how it relates to the Bible. So next week is the most relevant message. Pastor Jonathan's going to crush it next week with that message. Today, the most practical as we actually talk about how to study the Bible. All right, let's pray and let's get into today's message. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to share this word. Um, it's, it's not the most mind-blowing message. It's not something that's going to be so brand new for people, but it could be really, really life-changing in the way that that simple decision years ago for me to read the Bible for myself changed my life. So, Father, I lift this up to you. I put it in your hands and ask that you be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. I want to begin with a question that not a super interesting question, but a very important one. The question is this, who is the ideal reader of the Bible? Okay, who is the ideal reader of the Bible? Who is the person, what place are they in, what situation are they in that when they come to the Bible, like they are the ideal reader of the Bible? Now you may be thinking, the Bible is for everyone. The Bible is for everyone, so everyone is the ideal reader. Now, I want to start today's message with a little bit of a hot take. This is what it is. The Bible is not for everyone. Okay, what do I mean by that? Before you stone me, put your rocks down. <laughs> Before you start throwing stones. What I mean by the Bible is not for everyone, not Everyone approaches the Bible in the way to experience the Bible in the way it was meant to be experienced. Okay? Not everyone is in the right place. Not everyone approaches the Bible in the way it was meant to be approached. If you approach the Bible in the way the Bible asks you to approach itself, then you will experience the Bible as it was meant to be experienced. But if you come to the Bible, if you come to the scriptures with a different perspective, different goals, different things in mind, you will not experience all that scripture has for you to experience. You guys with me? And that's why I mean the Bible is not for everyone because if you're not the ideal reader, doesn't mean you can't gain a blessing. It doesn't mean that you can't experience something great. It doesn't mean that you can't hear the word of God. Absolutely, you can. But the Bible actually answers this very question. It explains there is a type of person, there, is a, there are things that the person does that makes them the ideal reader to experience what the Bible was meant to be. And that's really important because if we are not the ideal reader, if I'm not in the place to be the ideal reader, that I'm going to have a subpar or incomplete experience with the Bible, which I bet many of you have. And is it possible that the reason why, and I'm not judging or condemning, the reason why you had a subpar, less than optimal experiment with the Bible, experience with the Bible, is not because of the scriptures, but because of where you were and what you brought into that experience. Every organization, every company, every, every, every store has an idea of an ideal customer. For example, Guitar Center, the ideal customer is our very own Ed Kim. Ed Kim is the ideal customer of Guitar Center. He's got, he's got the money, and he loves music and guitars, and he, I don't even know, I would actually like to find out how much money Ed has spent at Guitar Center. I would really like to know. Um, I've also heard, uh, for those of you guys who know, know Elliot Jew, he has this uh, Audi A4. Uh, Helen, how old is that car? 
like 30 years or something, right? Like it's as old as you guys have been dating or something like that, right? So they're married, they're married, right? Um, he is the ideal customer for the garage that he, the mechanic he goes to see. In fact, he's told me that he's gone there so many times that anytime he has a problem, they will fix it right away, right? He's like, he has put those people's kids through college, I'm pretty sure, right? Ideal customer. So every organization has the ideal customer. The Bible, believe it or not, has an ideal Bible reader in mind, and it tells us that the people who approach the Bible this way, they are going to experience the Bible as it was meant to be experienced. And it's found in Psalm chapter 1. Down in Psalm chapter 1, so I want to read three verses to you. And as I read these, I want you to pay attention. Okay, who is the ideal? What kind of person or what, what are the things that this person does that makes them the ideal reader of the Bible? So here it is, Psalm chapter 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their lives never wither, and they, do, and they prosper in all they do. Let me read it one more time, a little bit slower, so you guys can try to figure out what is the ideal, who is the ideal reader of the Bible? Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season, their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Now, I think you guys are figuring it out. There's actually two that are very obvious when you're like, oh, people who do this with the Bible or the scriptures, okay, that's kind of like explained as the ideal reader. But there's actually three things in this text. There are three characteristics of the ideal Bible reader that Psalm 1 is describing. And two of them are kind of obvious. I think you guys know what they are. Delight and meditate. Right? The ideal, the ideal reader of the Bible is someone who delights in the law of God. They delight in Scripture, which we're going to unpack later. And they meditate on Scripture. Meaning, if you don't delight in the Word of God, you probably are not going to experience the Word of God as it was meant to be experienced. That's fair, right? And the other thing is, if you don't meditate on it, you are not consuming or experiencing or, or integrating scriptures the way they were meant to be integrated or consumed. And we're going to unpack that as well. So those two is actually the really key points of today's message. But there's a third one that's hidden. There's a third one that's like, I don't see it. I don't know what you're really talking about. And it comes from Psalm 1, verse 1. Let me read it one more time. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. The ideal reader of the Bible is not, as you maybe are thinking right now, someone who does not do bad things or follow bad people or do what bad people say. That's actually not what it would say. Right? It's describing the ideal reader. They don't do that. They don't, they don't receive the advice of the wicked. So if there was a wicked person that came up to them and said, hey, I got this great investment opportunity, they'd be like, no, thank you. If a wicked person came to them or a sinner came to them, whatever that means, they come and said, hey, I noticed that this about your life or about your marriage, can I give you a piece of advice? And they'd be like, nah, dude, don't give me any advice. I know how you live. They don't, they don't invite the perspective of the wicked into their lives. So instead, what do they do? Where do they get their guidance from then in this text? 
If they're not getting it from the wicked and the unrighteous, they're getting it from somewhere else. They are someone who delights in the law of lore and meditates on Scripture. It stands to reason that the ideal Bible reader is not necessarily a person who doesn't make mistakes or does bad things, because that's all of us. We're all sinners. But they have every intention to take advice, guidance, and perspective from the Word of God. So what do I mean by this? What I'm saying here is the two qualities, the three qualities of the ideal Bible reader are, yes, they are a delighter in Scripture, they are a meditator on Scripture, but they are a doer of Scripture. Meaning the ideal Bible reader is someone who goes to the Bible intending to put it into practice. If you go to the Bible with no intention of actually doing what it tells you to do, you are not going to experience the Bible as it was meant to be experienced. If you go to the Bible with your agenda saying, these are the things that I can't give up, these are the things that I don't want to change, and you go into Scripture like that, you will not experience the Word of God the way it was meant to be experienced. Because that's what we talked about last week. The purpose of Bible study, what was it? Transformation. The purpose of Bible study is Change. Remember the story of, of, of Josiah last week? It was scripture affected his thoughts and prayers, which then led to reform and change in his life and in the nation. Again, go back to next, last week if you're kind of confused by what I meant. So the ideal Bible reader are, is someone who delights in the scriptures, someone who meditates on scriptures, and has every intention of doing and obeying and practicing what they experience and hear from God in the scriptures. That's hard because we don't always go to the Bible expecting to change. But Psalm 1, the writer of the psalm is saying this is the person who will experience the Bible and the Word of God as it was meant to be experienced. So what we're going to do today is we're going to break down what it means to delight in the law of the Lord and what it means to meditate. And these are two really key ideas. And then I'm going to show you and talk about a I don't know if you want to call it a method or a process, but just a way to give you structure in the way you uh, uh, read the Bible to help you experience the Bible, I think, as it was meant to be experienced. So that's kind of our plan for today. That's kind of what's on the docket. So the first word is the delight, 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 delight. And um, actually, what I want you to think about is as you think about these three things, the delight, the meditating, and the doing, which one is the most challenging for you? Like, just think about that. Is it most challenging to delight in the Word of God, to meditate on the Word of God, or to actually do and put into practice the Word of God? Think about that. And some of you guys are like, all three are pretty hard for me. And that's okay. If that's where you're at, so glad you're here. For me, it's this first one. It's delighting in the Word of God that I think, to be honest, is the most challenging for me. I'm like... I'm not a very, like, oh, I want to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Like, I'm, I can do the things, you know, if there's conviction, God puts it in my heart, I'll do it. I'll make the changes. Meditating, meditating is hard just because I have young children and I don't have time. It's kind of tough like that. But delighting, that's the one that really concerns me. So, the Hebrew word for delight is the word kefetz, kefetz. And it's simply translated as delight and pleasure, kefetz, right? Delight and pleasure. And I was like doing some research, and this one scholar writes that the, the sentiment of kefets, of delight and pleasure, is the, the feeling of admiration. Okay, listen to what he says here, right? The feeling of admiration that a man has for a beautiful woman that will become his wife. So I read that, and I was like, 
I wish I didn't read that. And I'm going to be honest with you, I have never felt about the Bible the admiration that I feel towards a beautiful woman slash Tracy's, my wife, and when she was going to become my wife. Like that feeling, that's not a feeling I had towards the Bible. Like, and I don't know, I, I feel kind of bad. You know, how can you delight in something? How can you force yourself or manufacture delight or pleasure in something that maybe you don't take pleasure in? And so I read that, and like, man, that's really discouraging for me to read that, oh, the ideal Bible reader is someone who looks at the Bible and feels the same way about the Bible that they feel about their wife or their husband. I was like, dude, that's hard, man. I don't, I don't know how, to, I don't even know how to preach about that. I don't even know how to teach you guys how to do that, because I don't do that. And I don't feel that way about the Bible. And if you don't, like, that's Okay. And we understand, I, there are people, you know, you know, when I think about people who say, I love the Bible, right? When I love the Bible, we love to read the Bible. That's amazing, you know, and, and I think a lot of us, where our mind goes, when people say we love the Bible, I think we have this feeling that when they say that, what they mean is that they're, they're entertained by the Bible. Like they read it and it's like fun and exciting and it's entertaining like it would, like it would be to watch a great movie. And they were like, nah, dude, I, I don't feel that way. I'm not entertained by the Bible. And, and there may be some of you who are feel a sense of joy and entertainment through the Bible, and like you get a dopamine hit, and that's awesome. Like, and actually, you should probably be teaching us how to do that. But for a lot of people, that seems really bizarre to be able to look at the Bible and read the Bible. And yeah, there are some like really cool parts, interesting parts. Pastor Jonathan talked about one of the most interesting stories in the Bible, right? And there's those moments, but do I feel the same way when I read the Bible like I do when I like watch a really, really good movie? Can I read the Bible for like two and a half hours, three hours, and feel the same and, and not, 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 not lose my attention like I do when I watch a really good movie or watch when I start binging a show on Netflix? And to be honest, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't really feel like that about the Bible. And so this is really discouraging for me because I don't, I, don't, I don't experience, I don't feel that. But as I was studying, there's actually an additional meaning to the word kephetz that I think brings a lot of clarity for me. Right? Again, I'm not saying that if you find the Bible interesting and entertaining, that's wrong. That's fantastic. That's lovely. I hope you do that. But there's this other meaning of kephetz that brought a lot of clarity for me, and it's super bizarre. So kephetz means desire, delight, pleasure, but there's this other meaning of kephetz that means to bend down. Interesting, right? Well, how could one word mean pleasure, but also to mean bend down? And there's this one verse in Psalm that uses this word in this, in this way, and I think it kind of like, it kind of encapsulates and makes clear how this works, how desire and delight and pleasure can also be connected to with this, this posture of bending, of bending down. It's in Psalm 18, 19. It says, he who is God, God brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he kefetted in me. He delighted in me. He rescued me because he delighted in me. In this verse, there's kind of this like emotional feeling, kind of like pleasure in this, right? He delighted in me. But there's another side of this, of this story in this experience in, in Psalm chapter 18. Yes, there's this feeling part, but there's also this Service. There's also this surrender 
part in this experience. God delights in me, and because he delights in me, he kefets, and he bends down to rescue me and pull me out and bring me to a spacious and free place. And then when you think of bend down, right, like obviously where our mind goes, if you grew up in the church and, and read the stories of the gospel, you think of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Before he dies, he, he's in that room and he gets down on his knees, he bends down to wash his disciples' feet. And I feel like in that moment, like, there was a, an experience of delight in what he was doing. And not because Jesus, like, loves to wash people's feet. Like, I don't think that's why Jesus delighted in that moment. He doesn't love to wash people's feet. I think he delighted in that moment because it was his disciples. It was his guys, the guys who have been with him for, for three years. He loves them, and he knows them, and they know him, and, like, they've been through it thick and thin all together. And in that moment, it's a special moment because he can show, and the Bible says he shows the full extent of his love through this act of service when he kefets, when he bends down. So as I think about this phrase, this word, kefetz, and delighting the Lord, I realize it's not just about feeling good and, and having fun and taking pleasure in something, but there's this element of surrender and service as well, right? Like, please understand that I don't think that when it says delight in the word of God, it means enter, be entertained by the word of God. I don't think that's what it's talking about. What I think kefetz really mean is this sense of joyful surrender, Joyful surrender, like I'm willing to bend down and get down, and I'm going to enjoy it. Like it's not hard for me. It's that feeling and the experience that you've had when you do something good for someone you love. When you sacrifice time or money or, or, or energy for someone you love because you know they need it or they're going to love it, that, that willingness that you're willing to surrender and serve, like that's, I think, Kefetz. A joyful surrender. So the ideal Bible reader delights in the law of God. They delight in the word of God. Not necessarily that they're entertained by it, but when they come to the Bible and when they experience it, they are joyfully willing to surrender themselves to it. For me, when I think about that, I think that's something much more possible for me. That I can go into the word of God, read the things, and joyfully surrender myself to the truths I find in the word of God. Like, I think that's what it means to delight in the law of God, to delight in Scripture. The second word was the word meditate. second word was the word meditate. And the word for meditate, it literally means to, to mutter, to mutter. It's like, it's like that experience of uh, when you talk to yourself. Like, for me, I think the word meditate, is, it has to do with, like, the internal monologue of your life. Right? It's, not, it's not the muttering you do to your parents. It's not like the snide, sarcastic comments that you do under your breath. That's not what I was talking about. It says the, the, the idea read of the Bible meditates. It's like it's a part of their internal monologue. That as they go out day and night, they're muttering the scriptures, the word of God, to themselves. They're meditating on it. So what's really important that we understand about scripture, and if we seek to be ideal readers of the Bible... If we seek to study the Bible in the way it was meant to be experienced, we have to understand, and this is really, really important for us now because a lot of us don't do this, is that the Bible was not meant to be read once a day in the morning, and that's it. The Bible was not meant to be read and studied once and then put away and then you're done. It's not a one and done deal with the Bible. 
right? As we look at the scripture and the way it says to be read and studied, and the, the way the ideal Bible reader is supposed to experience it, is they meditate on it. It becomes a part of their internal monologue day and night. But most of us, what do we do? We have our quote-unquote daily devotion, our QT, our quiet time if you grew up in the 90s, right? And then you, you, you have that moment where you read, you pray, and you shut the Bible, and then you move on with your life. That's not actually how the Bible was meant to be experienced. They were to meditate, it day, meditate on it day and night. You see, the Bible is not supposed to be like a vitamin, a vitamin that you take in the morning and you're good for the rest of the day. The Bible was meant to be experienced like water, okay? What do I mean by that? Water was meant to be dr drunk, drank, whatever, throughout the day. Now, if you're like me, some of you guys are like me, right, where, where you know that there's a certain amount of water you're supposed to drink. By the way, how much, how much water are we supposed to drink every day? It's not eight cups. According to the Mayo Clinic website, for men, it's 15 cups of water. And for women, it's 11 cups of water, okay? That's a lot of water. So for me, what I do is I wake up in the morning, and I'm like, all right, let me drink my 15 cups right now. Just go, 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 go. I try to drink all of it in the beginning, all right? So you're not supposed to do that. You know, some of you guys know what I'm talking about. Some of you guys have that bottle. Have you seen those gigantic bottles of water that have time markers? It's like, oh, by 10 a.m., you should have drank this much, 11. That's, that whole spirit, the spirit of that bottle is the spirit of biblical meditation, Right? It's supposed to go throughout every day, but I know some of you cheat and you don't fill it up all the way, but that's okay, right? The Bible was not meant to be consumed like a vitamin. It's supposed to be consumed like water throughout the day, meditating on it day and night, becoming a part of your internal monologue. And so this is so important for us because I don't know if we understand that the Bible was meant to be seen as meditating scripture, scripture to meditate upon. And even our title, we're like, how to study the Bible, that's kind of the wrong title, actually. According to this verse in Psalm chapter 1, if the ideal Bible reader is someone who meditates on it, then the scripture is something to be meditated on, meaning the purpose and goal of the Bible, experiencing the Bible, is not study. The purpose of the Bible, experiencing the Bible is not study, it's not just context. It's not just information. It's not just digging to understand. It's for the purpose of meditation. And that's like, whoa, what is that? What does that mean? What is that supposed to be like? We understand Bible study, and, and we even have the phrase, right, a very, a very honorable phrase, a compliment that we give to people, wow, you're a student of the word. That is awesome. Right? And when we say that someone's a student of the word, we're like impressed at how much they know about the Bible. They know about the story and the context and the information, and, and they get all that. But the ideal Bible reader, hot take number two, is not a student of the Bible. It's a meditator of the Bible. It's someone who experiences the Bible, and it becomes a part of the internal monologue all throughout the day, muttering to themselves the truth that they're finding in scripture, delighting in it, joyfully surrendering to the truth they find there, but then also being willing to meditate upon it. Study is important, don't get me wrong. Context, the facts, the truth, 
the historical setting, all that stuff is so, so important. But that is not the end in and of itself. It must lead us to a place where we meditate on the truth, where it becomes a part of who we are. It's a part of the process of transformation. So the question then for us is how do we read or study, for lack of a better term, the Bible in order to lead to meditation? And that's what we're going to end this message with. How do we study the Bible in the way that it was meant to be studied, as a way, as a, as a, as a library, as a source for meditation? And so this part, I'm going to just kind of talk about four ways to, like, when you go into the Bible, you know, do these four things. And, and this is not the only way. This is just one way that I want to share with you that is meaningful for me. Um, that, and it's not mind-blowing. Like, you're not going to be like, wow, I've never thought of that before. It's going to be stuff that you've known and maybe have done. But I'm just hoping that maybe you, you can grab some pieces of it as you look at these different parts, and it might be a benefit for you. And who knows what God can do through these things. So what I want to share with you guys is just uh, five things to do as you enter Scripture that I think will, lead, will, will more likely lead to meditation than simply just trying to understand kind of what is in the text. So the first thing is really simple. It's prepare. Prepare. And this is so, so important. Like, I know that a lot of times the preparation phase of things we don't really like to do. Like, when you go work out, I don't know how many of you guys actually warm up and stretch. You know, sometimes we just, like, want to get to it, right? But the preparation is really, really important. And preparation is, is a couple of things. First, you need to find a place. This is actually very, very important, that you find the right place to do this kind of Bible reading. And to be honest, the right place is not a coffee shop. Okay? And I say that because I like to, do, I like to go to coffee shops. I, I do my devotions at coffee shops. But as I like read, read this and learned this, I'm like, this is not for coffee shops. Like, you need to find a place where you will be by yourself. Okay? And, and, and step two is going to make sense why we need to be by ourselves. So you got to prepare. Find yourself a place where you can be by yourself. Another key important fa- part of, of phase one or this preparation phase is take your phone, turn it off, and then put it in a different room, okay? Turn it off and then put it in a different room. Why is that important? Because if you leave it on and put it in a different room, most likely you will hear, right, while you're doing your devotion, and what do you think? Oh, I wonder who's messaging me. I wonder what that email is. I wonder what I'm going to do, right? If you leave it next to you and it's off, you're going to like, you're going to naturally grab it. Pastor Jonathan and I, every year we like to take this little private retreat, just he and I, and we go away to a place where there's no cell phone reception, and we read, and we study, and we talk, and we pray together, and stuff like that. But I cannot tell you how many times he and I both would pick up our phones, even though we know there's no reception. It's just a habit, right? So you can't have it off next to you. It's a distraction. Turn it off and put it in a different room, Okay. And then you got to be by yourself, and then you have time of prayer where you invite the Holy Spirit in because, you know, we don't know anything. We don't know how to understand, so we invite the Holy Spirit to reveal the truth to us. So that's preparation. Key things. Be by yourself, and then put that stuff away in a different place. Turn it off. Next section, really simple. Read. Read the Bible. Now, this is obviously, like, pretty self-explanatory, but actually it's not. You can't just read. Let me talk to you about what you're supposed to do in this part where you read the Bible. You can read any part of scripture, and and all of it is inspired, all of it is the word of God, absolutely. But here's what I want you to do that's different than what you may normally do in your devotion. You do not just read it one time. You need to read it maybe three or four times in this section. 
Read it over and over and over and over again. But also, read it slowly, slowly. The goal of this is not to read as much as possible. The goal of this is to meditate on it. And meditation on Scripture is slow. And I know that we hate that. We hate slow. No one likes slow internet. But this is meant to be slow. So read it three or four times and read it slow. And here's the other thing. Read it out loud. This is why you got to be by yourself. Because if you're in a coffee shop and you pull out a Bible and you start reading the Bible four times slowly out loud, people are going to look at you and they're going to be like, what is that guy doing? That's kind of weird, right? So you got to be by yourself. Read it out loud. Why do I say read it out loud? Believe it or not, the Bible was written in a way where it was meant to be read aloud. It was actually not meant to be read in your brain silently. It's not SSR, silent, sustained reading. The Bible was meant to be read aloud. And reading aloud makes you, forces you to slow down. So when you read the Bible, read it out loud, read it slow, read it multiple times. And as you're reading, pay attention to where your focus is drawn. Pay attention to the questions that come up. And this is an interesting one. This is one that I think is really helpful. Pay attention to the details that are not there that you wish were there. Let me say that again. When you read the Bible, pay attention to the details you wish were there that are not there. Like you read the story, you're like, well, what, what were they doing? How come it doesn't say what happened in between that? See, biblical meditation literature is written in a way to omit certain details to engage your mind in the study of that story. It's actually on purpose. It's not because the writer didn't know what happened. It's not because the writer doesn't want to tell you. Actually, that is exactly what it is. The writer doesn't want to tell you. It's not because they don't know. It's because they want to engage your mind. So pay attention to the details you wish you had but aren't there. And there's some power in those, in those moments. So that's what you do when you read. Next, you reflect. Don't worry, at the end of the, at the, end of the message, I'm going to put all of them on the screen. The next one is you reflect, right? And this is when you think about what does this mean for me? Like, what is, this, what is God trying to say through this time? Well, what is God trying to speak to me? What does he want me to change? Last week, we ended up with a question to approach scripture. How have I been wrong? Right, this is a time to ponder that. This is when you reflect. Think about the meaning of things and how it intersects with your life and how it applies to your life. And this is pretty like kind of what you maybe already know and have experienced in your own devotional time. And then you respond, and then this is in prayer, right? You pray a response to God in response to it, an honest, honest, honest response. That's the key about this phrase, about this phase, is that you respond honestly. You're not like, oh, wonderful God, thank you for the message that I completely understand. No, you're like, God, I don't get this. I don't understand this. I don't know why they would do this. I don't know what you're trying to say to me. Or if you read and, and the, 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 the thing that you hear from God is a challenge for you, you're like, God, I don't know if I can do that. You tell him that. God, I don't know if I can do that. These are the why. This, this is why it's so hard for me. This is what hinders me. This is the obstacles. Right? Respond to God honestly, either in prayer or journal it, write it down, whatever you got to do, and then you respond. And then finally, the last thing that you do is you rest. You rest in that moment. Don't just pack it up, close the Bible, and then just walk out and get on with your life. Just take a moment to sit and realize that you are in the presence of God in this moment.
right? That he is faithful and he wants to draw near to you so that as you enter into the word in prayer, you've invited him and you've, you've experienced him and you've talked to him and he's talked to you. Like, take a moment to just, like, soak that in, that God is present in this moment. He's, like, sitting with me at this table. He's, he's in this room and he's speaking to me. And, and how wonderful is it that I have a God who would be willing to speak with me and interact with me and engage with me with all the little things that I'm dealing with. My life. Just, like, sit and kind of simmer in that for for just a moment, and then you end, and then you move on, and then you continue after the day. And I believe that as you do these things, as we read and engage with Scripture in this way, it'll lead to a place of muttering and meditation, that it becomes a part of your inner monologue. So real quick, this is just to sum it up. Prepare, read, reflect, respond, and rest in Him. This is one way, not the way, not the best way, just one way that I think is meaningful to study the Bible, to study in a way as it was meant to be studied for the purpose of meditation, for the purpose of transformation. Now, I want to close with that last verse of Psalm chapter 1, the question of what's at stake. What's at stake in, Psalm, or in studying and reading the Bible? The description in Psalm chapter 1, as far as what happens to the person who engages with the word of God like this, who meditates and delights in it, who joyfully surrenders to it, says they are like trees planted along the riverbank. Just create a word picture for you. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. It's this picture of groundedness. It's this picture of like being solid and rooted in your life. It's this picture of, of prospering and, and being able to accomplish the things that you set out to do. It says it bears fruit in each season and their leaves never wither. It's this, it's this image and this picture of a life filled with life. It's this picture of really what we can call how God sees what a life that is flourishing looks like. One that is grounded, rooted, solid, full of life, and it says it bears fruit in every season. Meaning what it does is it can do what it was called and meant to do. One who delights and meditates in the word of God will be this kind of a person is the promise in Psalm chapter if you are the ideal Bible reader and you can approach it with that willingness to surrender, your willingness to do, the intention to do and follow, and you, it becomes a part of your internal monologue, you will become like this tree. And you will be free to be what you are meant to be. And you will be enabled to do what you are called to do. That's kind of what's at stake for us in our lives when it comes to Scripture. Now, I don't know if you're living that life, and if you're already there, that's fantastic. But I feel like a lot of people, we're just kind of on the process, and we're trying to get there. And the Word of God is a powerful way for us to experience that life of flourishing that God has prepared for us. Now, you may be thinking, but wait, there's a lot of people who read the Bible, and that's not really their life. There's a lot of people who read the Bible diligently, like every day, and I don't think they're like that tree. They're not like flourishing. In fact, it, it, it's even more than that. I know people, and I've seen people, and I've heard stories of people who have read the Bible, engaged with Scripture, and then it led them to do horrible, horrible, 
horrible things to other people. So how can you tell me that that's the promise? When I look at this world and there are so many people who are quote-unquote lovers of the Bible, students of the Bible, yet when I look at their lives and I look at how they treat people and I look at what they're doing, it is the opposite of what I want to become. It's a valid, valid question. Super important question. It's a smart question, one that we all have to wrestle and deal with. And Pastor Jonathan is going to wrestle and deal with it next week. Actually, and I'm not joking around, next week Pastor Jonathan's message is going to deal with that element of Scripture reading, of studying the Bible and making sure, I don't want to give too much away, but if that's what you're wondering, if that's what your concern is, I want to invite you back for our last message of the series because we're going to deal with very much that and other uh, issues surrounding that. Like what happens when people study the scripture and a lot of other things go wrong? What are we supposed to do then? That's what Pastor Jonathan is going to talk to us as we conclude our series, How to Study the Bible, in our last message next week. We hope you can join us for that. Let's pray. A gracious God in heaven, Lord, I thank you, God, for, for the word. And I know that we may not all delight in it, in the way other people delight in it. I know we may not think it's so fun and wonderful and, and, and entertaining, and we may have had bad experiences with it, God. But I hope that today we were challenged, that maybe the issue is not the word, but that more likely the issue is me, that I've come to the word of God with impure motives, with an agenda, with a desire to control it and make it do what I want it to do. Lord God, in the word of God, there is power to change lives. And I just want all of us in this room to taste that. I want us to taste the goodness of the word of God, taste, the, taste your goodness through it, your faithfulness, Lord. And Father, I just hope that someone in this room would be moved to try this out, to engage with the word of God a little bit differently than we have. Maybe we'll just read it for the first time. Or maybe we'll just read it for the first time in a long time. Or maybe we'll, we'll do things a little bit differently. I just hope, God, that, that we would engage with you in the word in a little bit different way this week that would lead to life change and transformation. You know, it could all begin this week. Who knows what you can do? So we offer it up to you. We surrender it to you. We thank you, God, for each person here and those watching online. In your name we pray. Amen.